Recorded live. All right, we want to bring in our special guest right now, Toby Rowland, the voice of the Sooners. Uh, you got a good seat for the game Saturday. You're going to be calling it live. It's not your typical OU Texas week, though, is it, Toby? It is a little weird. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it wasn't Bevo getting sick, just the cherry on the Sunday. I mean, what else could go wrong in Austin yeah. these days? And uh, it's just bizarre that the team is, you know, sideways, the – who knows what's going on with the head coach? The athletic director gets the boot. The cow is sick. I mean, it's just nuts down there right now. So it's been a weird week. I certainly don't think there is the anticipation for this game on that side of the Red River that we normally see or have seen in the past. But I do think Oklahoma fans are excited. You know, I mean, they're excited about this team. They're excited because they feel like they've got the better team in this game. They're, so, uh, yeah, I think that the south half of the Cotton Bowl will be bulging like it normally is. Yeah, Oklahoma fans are certainly excited because I think they smell blood in the water, so to speak. The question is, do you get the sense that the team has, has that same perception that we can go in there and just kind of have our way, but they've got to be focused at the same time? Do you, do you feel like this team is feeding off the fan base about – you know, just wanting to get down there and really have a good, uh, you know, almost a blowout-type victory over this team? Yeah, I hope so. I think that, um, you know, a couple of things help. I think two years ago helps a lot. Uh, the fact that they were in a similar position, similar favorite, and laid an egg, really got throttled, um, helped because they are reminded of that by coaches. Several of the guys on this team played in that game, so I think that, you know, is a focusing agent this week. I also think that they have someone on each side of the ball on this team, Baker Mayfield on offense and Eric Stryker on defense, mm-hmm. that it's really hard to imagine them coming into a game flat, any game, much less this game. I mean, it's, you know, uh, Baker's an Austin kid who is playing in his first OU-Texas game. And the idea of him sleepwalking into this is unfathomable to me. He's excited, you know, when he gets scrambled eggs for breakfast, much less gets to play Texas in front of 95,000 people. And then, you know, Stryker now, not you know, he was there a couple of years ago, but now he's the senior, he's the leader, he's the mouth of this team. And him not having his guys ready to play or on edge or somehow overlooking Texas Again, it's just hard for me to imagine that. So I think those things combined gives me reason to believe they're going to be ready to play. Let's let's step back from this game for just a second, because you and I haven't really had a chance to talk since spring football. Baker Mayfield, I mean, you you just talked about him. He's clearly the story of of the offense so far through four games. 
is he better than advertised? Is he better than what we all expected? I mean, I know all the others on the outside looking in are very pleased with him, but you've, you've been in this program. You've been around uh, the team. Is he better than, than what we thought he was going to be? I, I think he has, you know, I, I think he has been what they hoped for, but, you know, in all honesty, probably what he's done better than expected was take care of the football. Mm-hmm. I think when they decided to go with Baker that they knew that they were rolling the dice a bit. We're going with the more charismatic guy. We're going with the guy who has the chance to make the bigger plays, but we're going to have to live with the fact that he may throw it to the wrong team on occasion. Because that was his M.O. I mean, that was what he did at Texas Tech. Uh, That's what he did in the spring game, to be honest with you. And the fact that he is, I think it's 13-3 to right now, touchdown to interception ratio, and that's not even counting how many he's ran in, is – a very pleasant surprise for everyone, for fans, for coaches, for Baker, for everybody. If he can keep that up, you know, Oklahoma's in great shape because he's going to make plays. He's going to run around and make plays. He's going to throw for a bunch of yards. He's going to run for a bunch of yards. He's going to throw touchdowns. If he keeps from turning it over and throwing it to the wrong guys, then Oklahoma's going to win a whole bunch of football games this year. So, I think that's the area where maybe he has exceeded expectation. Samaj so P. Ryan's averaging over four, uh, four and a half yards a carry. Joe Mixon's right at five. Is it a myth that this team can't run the ball? Is it is it more of a they don't they're not a run first team like they had to be last year? W- talk about the running game and your perception of that. Yeah, I don't know if it's a myth. I, I mean, I think the reality of the situation is that they are struggling to run the ball with the same amount of success as they had last year. And I think it's pretty easy to see why. I mean, your hope is that it'll get corrected or they will gradually improve as the year goes along. But we'd be a little bit crazy if we didn't see this coming in some, you know, uh, form. They replace three offensive linemen, and they don't have Aaron Ripkowski back there, which is a huge thing. I mean, they've had a couple of fullbacks the last – four, five, six years in Trey Millard and Aaron Ripkowski, who were outstanding blockers. And Dimitri Flowers, so far, is not as good as they are in that element of the game. So there's that. There's the offensive line. There's the fullback. And then there's the new offense, the new offense that operates a little bit different. And we've seen gradually them move from the shotgun with P. Ryan and Mixon standing next to Mayfield to more of the pistol look, to more of the downfield running, a little bit of eye formation in short yardage situations to try to get P. Ryan in, uh, you know, optimum uh, conditions to where he's coming downhill rather than moving laterally. So I think the new offense, where quite frankly they're running the ball more than Lincoln Riley ever has before, Ripkowski, offensive line, plus teams are loading the box against them, um, you know, all of that adds up to they're not running the ball as well as they did a year ago. That's not an excuse. Those are just facts. So I think your hope is as the year goes along, the offensive line gets better. Dimitri Flowers gets better. Lincoln Riley, you know, kind of figures out the best um, ways to use P. Ryan and Mixon. And, uh, and defenses start to respect the OU passing game more. And – and say, wait a second, we can't just allow them to throw for 400 yards and 
Sterling Shepard and D.D. Westbrook and Mark Andrews and Micaiah Quick and Jarvis Baxter and all these guys have big games, we're going to have to readjust our thinking here. They're capable of beating us through the air. So let's let's maybe give a little bit. Let's throw some more nickel and dime coverage out there and hope that they don't hurt us with their run game. And I think that will gradually start to happen, and when it does, you'll see the OU run game become more effective. Let's switch sides real fast of the, of the ball here. How big of a difference does Jordan Thomas make in the secondary? Well, I mean, uh, I think that based on last week, you have to say a tremendous amount, you know, the difference in how the secondary looked against Tulsa and how it looked against West Virginia was night and day. And he had a couple of picks and a couple of really nice plays on top of that. So I think he's, he won that job for a reason. He's their second best cornerback. So they're better, naturally. That makes sense. I mean, he beat out P.J. and Banasor for the job, so he must be better than P.J. and Banasor, who I think has a very bright future. Um, so I think he makes them better. And, and he's a young kid who's kind of getting that Zach Sanchez swagger, running, rubbing off on him a little bit. I think Stephen Parker has made a huge step forward this year in that secondary, being able to help them at safety or at nickel or, or the variety of ways that they're using him. I think Ahmad Thomas and Hatari Bird get it a little more this year. So all of that wrapped in together, you know, the secondary is better. If you've got one weak link and Tulsa found a matchup that they felt like they could take advantage of and they just kept going at it, then everybody back there looks vulnerable. I do think the jury's out. I mean, I, I'm not ready to say this is a great secondary. I, I think it is the one – position group on defense that it's still a question mark in my mind. And until they consistently do it against teams that can really throw the ball in this league, that's always going to be a worry for me going into a game. But I'm certainly encouraged, I think everybody is, by what they saw at Jordan Thomas and, you know, the OU secondary as a whole getting three interceptions and really seeming seeming like they rattled. You know, the other element of that, Matt, is – they didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback in the second half of last season. Yeah. And that hurt the secondary, too, because they were having to hang in there longer than normal. And this year so far, that's been better. Stryker, of course, against West Virginia, but Devontae Bond is having a big year rushing passer. Charles Walker and, and Matt Diamond and Matt Romar, I think, up the middle have been fantastic for them. So I think they have uh, – they have pressured the quarterback more, which has also helped the secondary. Now, you mentioned Devontae Bond. It's one of those players, again, you know, better than advertised. You, you, you saw the talent he had as a JUCO. You saw a little bit of his potential last year. But, I mean, he's a different player from 2014 to 2015, is he not? Yeah, I think he's a classic case of a junior college kid. I mean, sometimes – a JUCO kid will be able to step in right away and help you. But, you know, 80% of the time it seems that it takes a year of adjustment and then that senior year they make a, you know, a big impact. And I think that's exactly what's happened with Devontae Bond. I, I think last year he was, when given a chance, he showed flashes of what he could be, but obviously didn't quite understand the principles of what they wanted to do enough to get onto the field. They are so stacked at linebacker right now. 
Listen, Obo Okoronkwo is a dynamic football player, and he can't get on the field because Mm -hmm. they're so stacked at linebacker. Frank Shannon is still a pretty darn good football player, and he can't get out there right now. So, uh, you know, Lord willing, they stay healthy and stay deep at that position all year. But Devontae Bond and Eric Schicker are menaces. I I think Devontae is benefiting from Eric as much as anything because defenses have to shade towards Stryker or are constantly trying to find Stryker. And so it frees him up for sometimes getting to work against not the best defender. He's not getting the fullback help or the tight end ship and things like that. So those two guys are a menace. You know, one of the things we talked about earlier in the podcast before we got you on here was um, this Oklahoma team seems to be playing with a chip on their shoulder. I, I initially thought it was all about the SEC, you know, Eric Stryker going off, and even Bob Stoops to an extent to making the the parting shot to find bomb in the post-game interview. But then you got the little scrum on the field before West Virginia. Uh, this It just seems like the Sooners are – they're fighting not just for the, the stay perfect, but they, they want to get a little bit of that swagger back, a little bit of that respect back that was kind of taken from them with, with the way they uh, just kind of dropped off at the end of the season last year. Do you see a little bit of a chip on their shoulder? I do. I think that there is a little bit, maybe more than a little bit, of the old-school, cocky, sooner 1980s to this team. You know, Bosworth would like this team a little bit. Um, and and the reason for that, I think, is they were embarrassed last year and heard about it for nine months. I think that's part of the formula. I think that they were brought together in the summer, spring and summer, in a, in a, in a horrific incident that took place but forced mm-hmm. them together as a team and started building a tightness and a bond and a chemistry on something re- not even football related that I think has carried into this season. Um, and then I think on top of that, the, the guys that we mentioned before, the leaders of this team, have tremendous charisma. You know, nothing against Jason White or Sam Bradford or Josh Heupel, who were fantastic football, Heisman Trophy winners and national champions for Pete's sake. But we have not had a quarterback in the Bob Stoops era who is as charismatic as Baker Mayfield is. I mean, he, he, in the locker room, on the team bus, in a press conference, on the field, Eric Stryker's the same, Zach Sanchez knows how to trash talk with the best of them. You know who's a really good trash talker that that you would not expect is Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard right. seems like the nicest, mildest, meekest young man in the world and is. And when he puts on that uniform and gets out there on the field, you watch him in pregame warm-ups, he's chirping more than anybody is out there. Um, so I think they have some key figures. He's another team leader. I think they've got some key figures on this team who are – confident slash, you know, cocky guys. And I think that leads to you playing with an attitude. And they're winning, and the team chemistry is good. And, you know, it it was encouraging. That was old-school Oklahoma, what happened at Tennessee, to talk trash the week leading up to a game, 
go beat somebody on their field and then tell them about it afterwards. You know, that that's the kind of Oklahoma right there that everybody else in the nation learned to hate in the mid-'80s, and we loved around here. So we'll see if they can keep it up. You know, they're going to have to go beat Baylor at Baylor if they're going to win a national championship or anything this year. So there are going to be some more opportunities to back what they have to say. But I agree with you. I, I don't know if it's a chip on the shoulder or a confidence or a swagger or what you call it, but there does seem to be kind of a special attitude about this team. Listen to Sooner Nation, the online podcast of Crimson and Cream Machine dot com. Our special guest for just another minute or two, the voice of the Sooners, Toby Rowland. You know, let's jump back into the Texas State Fair, the Cotton Bowl, and, and Saturday. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier in our conversation about Texas and the the, the amount of disarray uh, with this team. You, you've got everything going on with Charlie Strong. I personally have the preference, I have the opinion that. Charlie Strong is in a little bit of a bubble and not fully aware of how dysfunctional this team is. But then you've got the, the guys in the media session on Monday. They take that from the media session to Twitter uh, going at each other. You, you, you've been around this business for a while, both as, as the, the play-by-play guy for Oklahoma. Before that, you were involved you know, in the media. Have you seen not just Texas, but have you seen a team – before that's as dysfunctional as what this Longhorn team appears to be? You know, my um, my summer job after my freshman year in college was working at a boys' home for troubled youth in Indiana. And we had about 15 kids, 15 young boys, who I was responsible for during the day from 8 to 5. I would show up and I would, you know, walk them through their responsibilities of the day. And about, I don't know, once a month, I would completely lose control. You know, I could, I could pretty much handle them, but when they all ganged up on me at the same time, it, there was really nothing I could do, and there would be a fight over here and another fight over there, and some kid's out front smoking, and another one's trying to sneak in something he shouldn't have, and I just throw my hands up and go, I can't do it. I mean, there's just too many of them, and... I give, and I, I think that's – I felt bad for Charlie Strong this week because I think that's what he was going through. I mean, I think the inmates took over the asylum uh, briefly, and I, I just imagine him standing in the middle of the locker room and saying, hey, and stomping his foot and trying to get everybody to get in line. It, it is amazing. I think, I think, if he can at least show some semblance – of containing the zaniness. You know, they're not going to win many football games this year. But if he can somehow get everybody back in line to some extent, I think they really, really want to give him three years to prove what Mm -hmm. he can do. Uh, I think it looks bad if they get rid of him after two and they want to give him a third year and, and beyond that if he proves he can win. But this has not been a good look for Texas this week. I mean, the halftime tweets and the sniping with each other on social media, um, it does look like chaos down there right now. You know, here's one example. This probably doesn't matter to anybody but me, but we contact the football sports information director each Sunday to ask if we can have the opposing head coach on our pregame show on Saturday. And sometimes they, most of the time they say yes, sometimes they don't, they don't. But 
I, I emailed the football SID and didn't hear back. So I emailed the basketball SID and he gets back with me and says, hey, I'm now in charge of, I, I'm in charge of football now too. And I said, oh, you're not doing basketball anymore. And he said, no, 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 I'm doing basketball too. He said, we're five people down in the sports information department wow. right now. So all of us are having to double and triple up on sports we're covering. This is Texas. You know, I mean, this isn't, this isn't Southern Nazarene or Bethel College or some little NAI school that's having staffing problems. This is Texas, for Pete's sake. And they're not one, but five people down in media relations right now because of all the firings and the people quitting and all that kind of stuff. So it is just, it is nuts. It's chaos. And for, unfortunately for Charlie, you know, the football team isn't playing well either. So that's the one thing that scares me most about Saturday is really the only way at this point for Texas to fix anything to feel good about themselves is to beat Oklahoma. You know, right. if they could hang their hat on something, that would be at least we beat Oklahoma. So I, I worry about the first quarter of this game. I mean, I think they'll come out hair on fire, ready to try to save face a little bit. But if Oklahoma could get on top of them 14 nothing, you know, Bevo's already staying home, and the rest of the team may join him quickly too. Well, you, and I think you kind of, in a way, have already answered my, my next question, is that I, I until Saturday – I thought that this Texas team was still capable of beating somebody that they should not beat. But then I saw 50-7 to against TCU, and I kind of let go of that emotion a little bit. Do you, do you feel like they can still – they're talented enough, they can still sneak in there and beat somebody up and, and stay into a game late and, and get a – I hate to say a special teams play, but get something that's going to give them a win over someone that they shouldn't be beating? Oklahoma's going to have to help them. Right. I mean, yes, we've seen much crazier things than this in college football history. Uh, but Oklahoma's going to have to help them. I mean, they're going to have to get a pick six, get up early, uh, return a punt for a touchdown. You know, I think DeJay Johnson is capable of giving them a big special teams play. If they get ahead and Oklahoma starts to get nervous, uh-oh, we can't lose to these guys. And, uh, you know, gets rattled a little bit, then maybe Gerard Hurd can keep it on the ground with Jonathan Gray and pick up enough first downs to milk the clock and shorten the game a little bit. And then, you know, who knows? Wouldn't that be the perfect way for, for Texas for it to end on like a 60-yard field goal or something after all the special teams problems they've had this year? But, no, if you just line them up and you match up X's and O's and, you know, position groupings and all that, it's not logical that Texas beats Oklahoma. But I probably would have said the exact same thing two years ago. So I am uh, I'm not I'm not ready to concede the game to the Sooners. They're going to have to go win it. They're going to have to play good football, not shoot themselves in the foot, and uh, and maybe it's another one of those days where they're able to to hang half a hundred on them. Final question for you, Toby. Um, for me, it's special teams. Uh, but where do you see the biggest advantage that Oklahoma has in this game? I think it's advantages across the board, but to me, I think special teams clear in cut is Oklahoma's biggest advantage. Um, yeah, I mean, Seibert uh, as a kicker and a punter is better than anything they got. I do think DeJay Johnson is a dangerous return man. Um, I think they've got a huge advantage at quarterback. I think that they've got a, hu- a big advantage in 
receiving weapons. Um, I think they've got a, a significant advantage across the board defensively as well. Um, maybe defensive line is pretty close, but linebacker and secondary, I'd give OU a big advantage there. Coaching, you know, I, I it's there's a lot of places. I mean, you, the better question is where do you where do you give Texas the advantage? You know, I mean, you're it's hard to find that their quarterback is faster than ours. You know, so there you go. But yeah, he, I'm had not, four, he had four completed passes against TCU. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Right. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think across the board, it's advantage Oklahoma. If you if you want to find an advantage for Texas, and again, I'm. I'm a little bit biased, though. The only advantage I see is that the game is played in Dallas. I mean, it's in the state of Texas, which is equal <laughs> distance. But, I mean, if you're grasping for straws, I think that's all you've got yep. if you're a Longhorn, right? Yep. Yep. And and on top of all that, they are not in a psychologically very good place right now. So right. it will be a devastating upset if Oklahoma loses this game. They It, it doesn't uh, – they got something going. Oklahoma's got a chance to be in the Final Four picture. They're into the top ten now, and Texas stinks. I mean, let's just call it like it is. Texas is not a good football team this year. And if and if their arch rivals were to come in and beat them Saturday and upset that apple cart, uh, that would the trip home from Dallas maybe never be longer than it is on Saturday. True that. He's Toby Rowland, the voice of the Sooners. You can catch him every day. Morning show, K Ref. Toby, I'm never up when you start, but it's like 6 o'clock you go from 6 yep. to 9? 6 a.m., yep. I didn't know that time rolled around twice a day, just, just saying. Uh, <laughs> 1400 a.m., 98.5 FM, catch him on the broadcast. If you're not there, you can't watch it on TV, or if you watch on TV, tune in to the, the Oklahoma the broadcast. That's right. There Toby, you go. Give us, uh, what, what's the uh, scene center going to be like? Just kind of just tell us something about it. Um. A little different, a little more, uh, a little more reflective, maybe a little irreverent this week. Um, I just heard it. I mean, I just I voiced it early in the week, but they just sent it back to me. So I think you'll like it. I was trying to kind of steer away from the dramatic tradition. I didn't want to do the same thing we've done in the past for this game. So it's, uh, it's slightly different. I'll tell you, uh, I did get John Brooks's call of Marcus Dupree's first touchdown run in 1984 that we included in it this year. So I think that's pretty cool. Anytime you get Brooksy in it, it's pretty cool. All right. Well, hey, give us your Twitter handle because you've become active on Twitter now. It is at T-Row-O-U, and make sure everybody on those message boards is nice to me now, okay? Hey, we, we try our best. We try our okay. best. You're one of our All favorite right. guests. Toby, have a great weekend. Be careful going to Dallas, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt. See you, bud. See you, buddy. Hey, that's good stuff, Toby. Thanks so much, man.